the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You are listening to the Advanced Colorado Rundown, Colorado's conservative podcast, providing insight and thought-provoking discussions on Colorado's most critical policy issues. Let's join Michael Fields for today's edition. Welcome to the Advanced Colorado Rundown. I'm Sean Duffy. I'm the Vice President uh, at Advanced Colorado, and we are very pleased to be joined uh, today by George Brockler, who is the Owens Early Fellow at the Common Sense Institute. Uh, He talks about criminal justice issues and crime issues, which is our topic today. George is the former 18th Judicial District District Attorney um, and very well respected all over our state and also the host every morning, uh, must-listen radio show on KNUS AM in Denver. So, George, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. We want to talk a little bit about crime and the Colorado uh, Free Enterprise Report that the Common Sense Institute uh, put out just a week ago. And, in fact, that whole section, George, that you've been part of and and helped author, talks about um, Colorado's performance on public safety and crime. And we didn't get really great grades. No, we we haven't had great grades for a while. I'll be honest with you. I've been in this criminal justice sector now for only about 29 years. And it even shocked me when I heard a few years ago during the State of the State address by Governor Polis that his goal for one year after he leaves office, because, you know, it's always got to be after you leave office, is for Colorado to be in the top 10 safest states uh, in America. I grew up in this state feeling like we are. I mean, we got to be like top five, top two or something. The numbers don't bear that out. And to the extent that CSI was able to measure a whole bunch of competitive performance factors, public safety is one where there are some shoots of green, if you will, but there's a way to go. We have some issues. I mean, when I looked at this report, even I was surprised. I mean, I I do have an office in downtown Denver, and I was looking through this uh, comprehensive report, and it shows that we are not a safe state. We are not a state that's getting safer and it's something that every Coloradan ought to be concerned about. Yeah, listen, for those listening to the podcast right now, unless you're listening to it in your car, there's a 50-50 chance your car is being stolen. No, I'm kidding. But it is pretty bad. We're we're number one per capita in America for car theft, and that's not this year. That's going back over the last couple few years, and we're not trending in a better direction. Now, I'll give you an example of how things can look like they're getting better without any real substantive change. Um We have seen a downturn in motor vehicle theft at the upper levels across the state of Colorado in most places. But where we've seen the greatest downturn are with those municipalities like Aurora that have said, we're no longer going to rely upon the state to enforce this. We don't like the catch and release model that they have. And by the way, even when someone gets convicted, they're not going to prison. So Aurora passes their own municipal change about a year plus ago that says, You get caught stealing a car, you are going to go to jail for 60 days, 90 days, depending upon some of the circumstances. Well, here's what we've seen since then. A more than 25% downturn in motor vehicle theft in Aurora. That tells you there is room for improvement. We know how to fix some of this stuff. 
But at the moment, things are challenging. But it also raises a point, too, about the work we do at Advanced Colorado in the sense that personnel, people, matter who's in public office. Because the previous um, uh, incumbents in Aurora were very much for catch and release. And, you know, we really weren't concerned if you tried to drive without your catalytic converter. Um, And yet a new group came in, uh, conservatives, who were able to change policy. And that's important. Uh, Undoubtedly. I mean, I I grew up at a time when I was a young prosecutor where there were always Republican and Democrat elected district attorneys, as an example. But you couldn't really tell the difference in their approach to public safety and crime. But what we've seen was sort of the uh, tribalism, the partisanship that has uh, sprung up, not just here, everywhere, but here a lot, is that you now see completely different philosophies about what it means to keep the public safe and who, who you represent in that public and the tools that you use to try to get there. And so, you know, one of the great struggles for me is to see the legislature slip so much across that center-left spectrum into the far left, in my opinion, in a way that in the post-George Floyd era, we are taking away tools from prosecutors and law enforcement every single day, and yet somehow we're aghast at the fact that our crime rate continues to climb. And and isn't, isn't there um, opposition, if you will, to common sense um, public safety issues is more theoretical until they become a victim and then you oftentimes see defund the police advocates quickly trying to call the police because they calling a social worker doesn't help them as much as they might have thought. Yeah, that's true. And look, how we get there is we have a legislature that is so dominated by one ideology, by, by one party, that there's no need to even consider balance anymore. And for a long time, we have been an anecdote driven legislature. And that is it's not the numbers. It's not even really, it's this horrible story happened. Sometimes not even here in Colorado. I'll give you an example. There is the, uh, gosh darn it, his name escapes me out of New York, who was illegally selling cigarettes on the street. Cops came, put a chokehold on him, and he died. Horrible. Incredibly tragic. Unnecessary. And the fact that it happened should be addressed. In New York, here in Colorado, we had legislators say, let's outlaw chokeholds by cops. I don't know a single agency up to that point that had used chokeholds, trained on chokeholds, but it didn't matter. We're an anecdote-driven legislature. And so in the post-George Floyd era, we saw a real turn against law enforcement, uh, a real skepticism of law enforcement. And the longer-term impacts of that aren't just the tools that are missing out of the toolbox, but it has uh, attacked morale such that we now see issues with retention of law enforcement officers, recruiting of law enforcement officers. Um, All of those things combined add to an environment where we're just not as competitive as our neighbors when it comes to public safety issues. And that's one of the findings in in this report about the inability to find good folks who want to be law enforcement officers. What and when that happens, what are the effects you see downstream? I mean, over time, what happens uh, when we don't have enough cops? Let me first address how that happened. Listen, there's a real debate about what qualified immunity is, qualified in in, in the role it should play. Qualified immunity is this approach to protecting members of government, not just police, but members of government that say, if you're in the good faith performance of your duties, you are immune from being sued for those things, even if there's a bad outcome. Well, in the post-George Floyd era, we took that away at the state level, and there's a real a debate as to whether or not we take it away at the federal level. When you do that the way Colorado does and say, hey, police officer, you are now on the hook out of your retirement, your pocket, your home 
your kids' savings accounts up to the tune of $20,000-plus for the mistakes you make on the street, there are a lot of folks I can see who would be great law enforcement officers that say, whoa, whoa, is that what the community thinks about? Is that the risk that I'm taking by already taking on a very dangerous job? So that's part of the problem. The downstream effects of that, the ripple effects, I mean, what you're talking about are guys and gals that represent your veteran officers that would be there to help guide the newbies in. Those folks are saying, I'm ready for a career change. I'm going to retire early. I'm going to take my pension early. I'm going to take the buyout. I'm going to move to another state or another department. That happens all the time. So now you've lost them. At the same time, you've discouraged the highest quality candidates from coming in the front door. And you have to start making decisions about, well, do we start cutting corners or lowering our standards on things like your past, whether it's what kind of a criminal history would we tolerate? What kind of standards do we send at the front door? So less veteran people who can help guide the newbies and a different kind of newbie coming in. You can see long term what that's going to do to an agency who makes life or death decisions. And and what's interesting, the the, the purpose of this report is to talk about Colorado's competitiveness versus other states. And the natural uh, result of what you're talking about is maybe those really good law enforcement officers decide, hey, I'd rather be in Utah or I'd rather be in Arizona. I'd rather be in Wyoming. Uh, and then does that doesn't that make those places arguably over time safer? And that makes Colorado less attractive, less competitive. I think that's true. And I think that sometimes the perception drives reality. So even if our numbers are improving, the perception that permeates the law enforcement community who are living with it, but the broader public and people outside the state is, Denver's not as safe. I mean, picture in your mind right now, what do you think about the level of safety of a San Francisco or a Seattle? It doesn't matter that their numbers have been turning around. Your perception is maybe not the place I want to go for vacation, let alone move my family or start a business. And that is what I worry about is happening here in the Denver metro area. At Advanced Colorado, we've launched into a uh, agenda we call Moving Colorado Forward for 2024. The legislature is coming back into session. One of the issues, which I know uh, is important to you, is truth in sentencing, where you got to serve the time that your victims and the community think you're going to serve. Talk about that and why it's important. Sean, <laughs> let's set the stage for this by making it clear to everybody watching and listening that outside of a conviction for first degree murder where the sentence is life without parole outside of that there is nobody on the planet earth that can tell you the minimum amount of time someone will spend in prison for any conviction that they have that's true of even the department of corrections who has responsibility for housing them they can't tell you the minimum amount of time the judge can't so that means at the conclusion of a case and let's talk about violent crimes where there are person victims Nobody leaving that courtroom knows the minimum amount of time that person will spend in prison. We act like we do. We think we do. We read in the paper so-and-so got sentenced to 12 years in the Department of Corrections. That's fake. A hundred percent fake. The way the statute reads right now for violent crime, it says you must serve 75% of your sentence. And you think, well, of course then. Guy got a 12-year sentence. He's going to serve nine years. Wrong. And the reason it's wrong is... Because we've allowed all these different rules, exceptions, good time, earned time, didn't shank your cellmate this week time. All of these things, plus the added on educational stuff, whittles that down to the point that statistically, if you commit a violent crime and you're sentenced to 12 years, you are likely to be 
uh, paroled and put back into the community at less than six years, maybe closer to five years. But again, nobody knows exactly. What I like about the idea of an approach uh, that this truth in sentencing that I've heard, where we're going to say it's mandated 85%, there is nothing less than 85%, that gives the community certainty. That gives the defendant, the, the convicted, certainty, victims, certainty. And certainty and predictability, I think, drive a greater sense of safety and, frankly, accountability. Another issue that, that we've um, embraced is the, the ending of personal recognizance bonds. And I'm sure your prosecutors uh, would see a, a person come in the door and the judge would say, well, I'm going to trust you to come back. Uh, you, you do you do good out there, buddy. Um, we've proposed to get rid of them. Um, what's your thought on that? There has been a nationwide uh, assault on cash bail. And there are good reasons to be skeptical about how cash bail is used in some circumstances, like where there are statistics that show that there's a racial disparity. It ought to be investigated and rooted. Let's figure out why that's happening. But to throw the baby out with the bathwater puts us in a circumstance where we see crime rising, not because there are more people committing more crimes as much as there are the same people committing more crimes. So we've got I'll give you an example. Um, our own attorney general. Uh, Phil Weiser on the campaign trail to get reelected said, I agree with this Jefferson County approach to motor vehicle theft, which is after someone has stolen three or four cars in a three month period of time, maybe then you give them a bond that keeps them in jail. I'm sorry. Uh, I think the other three people that had their car stolen after the first one would object and say, how about we keep them in jail after the first car, maybe the second car. So there's an approach here by judges. They're feeling the pressure. There's a, an approach here by the legislature to try to make it harder to keep someone in jail pending the, the outcome of their case. Now, I don't believe that everybody should stay in jail for every single kind of case, but there are people out there who pose a risk to the community that requires them to either have to post more or um, satisfy more requirements before we trust them back out in the community. We're not there yet. We want to say, well, you're presumed innocent, and therefore we're going to treat you like you're innocent. No, 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 no. The presumption of innocence is inside the courtroom. It's not, hey, we caught you with a knife sticking out of your neighbor. Let's just send you back home because you haven't had your trial yet. That's just not how it works. What um, What's your message as we wrap up? What's your message to, to folks who are watching and listening who may not consider themselves super conservative? They may not, um, you know, they may not think that they want to register Republican. And yet, Crime to me isn't an ideological issue. What should they be watching for at the legislature this year? What should, what are some of the hot button issues or signals that they're getting that maybe this group at the legislature isn't doing them a favor, even if they may have voted for them? Um, what are, what are they going to hear, and what should they do about it? Well, one, you got to continue to show up and put pressure on your legislators. Testifying, I think, has value to it. But again, uh, you know, when you've got such lopsided majorities in the House and the Senate, I don't know how much difference it makes. But if you want to stay educated and participate, whether it's through social media or letter writing emails, listen for bills that are predicated on anecdotes. And that's OK. Be emotionally uh, responsive to those things. I mean, feel like, oh, my God, that's horrible. But then ask the next question, how often does this happen? What are the statistics behind this? What's the data behind this? And then also ask that person or persons that are sponsoring those bills, who are they advocating for? Is it for the victim? Is it for the community? 
or is it for the defendants? And more often than not, over the last five to 10 years, you've seen a growing number of legislators who feel like the best work that they do is on behalf of criminals and not on behalf of victims in the community. Understanding that, having conversations about that, and then pushing back on the legislators and saying, I don't agree with this. I'm in your party and I don't agree with this. That's one way to make a big difference. And what's your message to people who might want to run for office? Maybe they want to run for a city council, like folks in Aurora who decided to tilt at a windmill and actually made a difference. Um, do, do you encourage them to step up that you can make a difference on crime, even in an area that may seem pretty progressive? Do you think they can break through? Oh, I do. I do. And I think you see where crime filters into some of these offices we take for granted. Look at the school board in Denver. They have a series of policies that will tell parents of regular kids, hey, if there's a juvenile out there and they commit any kind of crime, it doesn't matter how violent, as long as it's off campus and they have some kind of makeable bond and almost every kid does, we're going to put that kid right next to yours in math class or English. You know how the school board now addresses crime. City council, I, I gave the example of Aurora. I think that's going to be a growing trend. The more impotent the state shows itself in being willing to protect the public, the more city councils like Aurora's you're going to see take the lead and say, you know, you know what? We don't even care if it's felony or misdemeanor. We're going to start locking people up who engage in organized retail theft. We're going to start locking up people who continue to show up and do garage burglaries or steal our cars. We're going to pass what we need to to protect ourselves. So all of a sudden now, city council, they're on the front lines of law enforcement in a different kind of way. And they get to address all the things you asked me about, too, whether it's uh, what do we do about morale for police? What do we do about benefits packages? Do we have to pay them more? How do we get the good people to show up here and say, I want to be a crime fighter for this community? Uh, there are no irrelevant races anymore when it comes to criminal justice. If you're interested in public safety, I promise you, whatever you think you're running for, it's going to touch upon it. George, this has been uh, not only encouraging, but um, I think inspires people to know that yeah, just because crime's on the rise and, and is happening all over the state, you really can make a difference and you really can get involved and you really can turn things around that there's hope, uh, even when numbers are looking a little stark at the end of 2023. So thanks. No, appreciate thanks for that. joining us. Thank you. Thanks for thanks again for joining us for uh, the Advanced Colorado Rundown. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about Advanced Colorado, visit our website at advancedcolorado.org. And we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Advanced Colorado Rundown, brought to you by Advanced Colorado, the conservative thought leader, driving dialogue and solutions to Colorado's most critical policy issues. Find them at advancedcolorado.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.